Chapter Twelve of the Ancient Allen by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: The Slaying of Idleness. Whilst I was still talking to my mother, I received an urgent summons to the palace. I went, and in a little antechamber met Amata alone, who I could see was waiting there for me. She was arrayed in her secular dress and wore the insignia of royalty looking exceedingly beautiful moreover her whole aspect had changed for now she was no longer a priestess sworn to mysteries but just a lovely and loving woman it is done shabaka she whispered and thou art mine and i am thine then i opened my arms and she sank upon my breast and for the first time i kissed her on the lips kissed her many times and oh my heart almost burst with joy but all too fleeting was that sweet moment of love's first fruits whereon i had sown the seed so many years ago for while we yet clung together whispering sweet things into each other's ears i heard a voice calling me and was forced to go away before i had even time to ask when we might be wed within the council was gathered the news before it was that the satrap idleness lay camped upon the nile with some ten thousand men not far from the great pyramids that is within striking distance of memphis moreover his messengers announced that he purposed to visit the prince peroa that day with a small guard only to inquire into this matter of the signet for which visit he demanded a safe conduct sworn in the name of the great king and in those of the gods of egypt and the east failing this he would at once attack memphis notwithstanding any commands that might be given him under the signet which until he beheld it with his own eyes he believed to be a forgery the question was what answer should be sent to him the debate that followed proved long and earnest some were in favor of attacking idleness at once although his camp was reported to be strongly entrenched and flanked on one side by the nile and on the other by the rising ground whereon stood the great sphinx and the pyramids others among whom i was numbered thought otherwise for i hold that some evil god led me to give counsel that day which if it were good for egypt was most ill for my own fortunes perchance this god was isis angry at the loss of her votary i pointed out that by receiving idleness peroa would gain some time which would enable a body of three thousand men if not more who were advancing down the nile to join us before they were perhaps cut off from the city and thus give us a force as large as his or larger also i showed that having summoned idleness under the signet we should put ourselves in the wrong if we refused to receive him and instead attacked him at once a third party was in favor of allowing him to enter memphis with his guard and then making him prisoner or killing him as to this i pointed out again that not only would it involve the breaking of a solemn oath which might bring the curse of the gods upon our cause and proclaim us traitors to the world but it would also be foolish since idleness was not the only general of the easterns and if we cut off him and his escort it would avail us little for then the rest of the easterns would fight in a just cause so in the end it was agreed that the safe conduct should be sent and that peroa should receive idleness that very day at a great feast given in his honor accordingly it was sent in the ancient form the oaths being taken before the messengers that neither he nor those with him 
who must not number more than twenty men, would be harmed in Memphis, and that he would be guarded on the road back until he reached the outposts of his own camp. This done, I was dispatched up the Nile bank in a chariot accompanied only by Bez, to hurry on the march of those troops of which I have spoken, so that they might reach Memphis by sundown. Before I went, however, I had some words with Peroa. He told me that my immediate marriage with the Lady Amata would be announced at the feast that night. Thereon I prayed him to deliver to Amata the rope of priceless rose-hued pearls, which was in his keeping as my betrothal gift, with the prayer that she would wear them at the feast for my sake. There was no time for more. The journey up the Nile proved long, for the road was bad, being covered with drifted sand in some places and deep in mud from the inundation waters in others. At length I found the troops just starting forward after their rest, and rejoiced to see that there were more of them than I had thought. I told the case to their captains, who promised to make a forced march and to be in Memphis two hours before midnight. As we drove back, Bez said to me suddenly, do you know why you could not find me this morning? I answered that I did not, because a good slave should always run a pace ahead of his master to clear the road and tell him of its pitfalls. I was being married. The cup of the holy Tanafir is now by law and right queen of the Ethiopians. So when you meet her again, you must treat her with great respect, as I do already. Indeed, Bez, I said laughing. "'And how did you manage that business? "'You must have wooed her well during these days, "'which have been so full for both of us.' "'I did not woo her overmuch, master. "'Indeed, the time was lacking. "'I wooed the holy Tanafir, which was more important.' "'The holy Tanafir, Bez?' I exclaimed. "'Yes, master. "'You see, this beautiful cup of his is, after all, his beautiful cup. "'Her mind is a shadow of his mind.' and from her he pours out his wisdom. So I told him all the case. At first he was angry, for notwithstanding the words he spoke to you and me, when it came to a point the holy Tanafir, being after all much like other men, did not wish to lose his cup. Indeed, had he been a few score of years younger, I am not sure, but he would have forgotten some of his holiness because of her. Still, he came to see matters in the true light at last, for your sake, master, not for mine. Since his wisdom told him it was needful that I should become king of the Ethiopians again, to do which I must be married. At any rate, he worked upon the mind of that cup of his, having first settled that she would procure a younger sister of her own to fill her place, in such fashion that when at length I spoke to her on the matter, she did not say no. No doubt because she was fond of you for yourself, Bez. A woman would not marry even to please the holy Tanafir. Oh, master, he replied in a new voice, a very sad voice. I would that I could think so. But look at me, a misshapen dwarf, accursed from birth. Would a fair lady like this Karema wed such a one for his own sake? Well, Bez, there might be other reasons besides the holy Tanafir. I said hurriedly. Master, there were no other reasons, unless the cup, when it is awake, remembers what it had held in trance, which I do not believe. I wooed her as I was, not telling her that I am also king of the Ethiopians, or any more than I seem to be. 
Moreover, the holy Tanafir told her nothing, for he swore as much to me, and he does not lie. And what did she say to you, Bez? I asked, for I was curious. She lied fast enough, master. She said, well, what she said when first we met her, that there was more in me than the eye saw, and that she who had lived so much with spirits looked to the spirit rather than to the flesh, and that dwarf or no, she loved me and desired nothing better than to marry me and be my true and faithful wife and helpmeet. She lied so well that once or twice I almost believed her. At any rate, I took her at her word, not altogether for myself, believe me, master, but because without doubt what the holy Tanafir has shown us will come to pass, and it is necessary to you that I should be married. You married her to help me, Bez? That is so, master. After all, but a little thing, seeing that she is beautiful, well-born, and very pleasant, and I am fond of her. Also I do her no wrong, for she has bought more than she bargained for, and if she has any that are not dwarves, her children may be kings. I do not think, he added reflectively, that even the faithful Ethiopians could accept a second dwarf as their king. One is very well for a change, but not two or three. The stomach of all the people would turn against them. I took Beza's hand and pressed it, understanding the depth of his love and sacrifice. Also some spirit, doubtless it came from the holy Tanafir, moved me to say, Be comforted, Bez, for I am sure of this. Your children will be strong and straight and tall, more so than any of their forefathers that went before them. This indeed proved to be the case, for their father's deformity was but an accident, not born in his blood. Those are good omen words, master, for which I thank you, although the holy Tanafir said the like when he wed us with the sacred words this morning and gave us his blessing, endowing my wife with certain gifts of secret wisdom, which he said would be of use to her and me. Where is she now, Bez? With the holy Tanafir, master, until I fetch her, training her younger sister to be a diviner's worthy cup. Only perhaps I shall never send, seeing that I think there will be fighting soon. Yes, Bez, but being newly married you will do well to leave it to others. No, no, master. Battle is better than wives. Moreover, could you think that I would leave you to stand alone in a fray? Why, if I did and harm came to you, I should die of shame or hang myself, and then Karema would never be a queen. So both her trades would be gone, since after marriage she cannot be a cup, and her heart would break. But here are the gates of Memphis, so we will forget love and think of war. An hour later I and my mother, the Lady Tiu, stood in the banqueting hall of the palace with many others, and learned that the satrap Idernus and his escort had reached Memphis and would be present at the feast. A while later trumpets blew and a glittering procession entered the hall. At the head of it was Peroa, who led Idernus by the hand. This eastern was a big, strong man with tired and anxious eyes such as I had noted were common among the servants of the great king, who from day to day never knew whether they would fill a satrapy or a grave. He was clad in gorgeous silks and wore a cap upon his head in which shone a jewel, but beneath his robes I caught the glint of mail. 
as he came into the hall and noted the number and quality of the guests and the stir and the expectant look upon their faces he started as though he were afraid but recovering himself murmured some courteous words to his host and advanced towards the seat of honour which was pointed out to him upon the prince's right after these two followed the wife of peroa and her son and daughters then walking alone in token of her high rank appeared amada the royal lady of egypt wonderfully arrayed now however she wore no emblems of royalty either because it was not thought wise that these should be shown in the presence of the satrap or because she was about to be given in marriage to one who was not royal indeed as i noted with joy her only ornament was the rope of rose-hued pearls which were arranged in a double row upon her breast she searched me out with her eyes smiled touching the pearls with her finger and passed on to her place next to the daughters of peroa at one end of the head-table which was shaped like a horse's hoof after her came the nobles who had accompanied idleness grave eastern men one of these a tall captain with eyes like a hawk seemed familiar to me nor was i mistaken for bez who stood behind me and whose business it would be to wait on me at the feast whispered in my ear note that man he was present when you were brought before the great king from the boat and saw and heard all that passed and i wish he were absent now i whispered back for at the words a sudden fear shot through me of what i could not say by degrees all were seated in their appointed places mine was by that of my mother at a long table that stood as it were across the ends of the high table but at a little distance from them so that i was almost opposite to peroa and idleness and could see amata although she was too far away for me to be able to speak to her the feast began and at first was somewhat heavy in silence since save for the talk of courtesy none spoke much at length wine whereof i noted that idleness drank a good deal as did his escort but peroa and the egyptians little loosened men's tongues and they grew merrier for it was the custom of the people of the great king to discuss both private and public business when full of strong drink but of the egyptians when they were quite sober this was well known to peroa and many of us especially to myself who had been among them which was one of the reasons why idleness had been asked to meet us at a feast where we might have the advantage of him in debate presently the satrap noted the splendid cup from which he drank and asked some question concerning it of the hawk-eyed noble of whom i have spoken when it had been answered he said in a voice loud enough for me to overhear tell me o prince peroa was this cup ever that of the great king which it so much resembles so i understand o idleness answered Baroa. that is until it became mine by gift from the lord shabaka who received it from the great king an expression of horror appeared upon the face of the satrap and upon those of his nobles surely he answered this shabaka must hold the king's favors lightly if he passes them on thus to the first comer at the least let not the vessel which has been hallowed by the lips of the king of kings be dishonoured by the humblest of his servants i pray you o prince that i may be given another cup so a new goblet was brought to him peroa trying to pass the matter off as a jest by appealing to me to tell the story of the cup then i said while all listened 
O prince, the most high satrap is mistaken. The king of kings did not give me the cup. I bought it from him in exchange for a certain famous bow, and therefore held it not wrong to pass it on to you, my lord. Idernus made no answer and seemed to forget the matter. A while later, however, his eye fell upon Amata and the rose-hued pearls she wore, and again he asked the question of the hawk-eyed captain and said, Think me not discourteous, O prince, if I seem to look upon yonder lovely lady, which in our country, where women do not appear in public, we should think it an insult to do. But on her fair breast I see certain pearls, like to some that are known throughout the world, which for many years have been worn by those who sit upon the throne of the East. I would ask if they are the same or others. I do not know, Idunus answered Burroa, I only know that the Lord Shabaka brought them from the east. Inquire of him, if it be your pleasure. Shabaka, again, began Idernus, but I cut him short, saying, Yes, O satrap, Shabaka, again. I won those pearls in a bet from the great king, and with them a certain weight of gold. This I think you knew before, since your messenger of a while ago was whipped for trying to steal them, which under the rods he said he did by command, O satrap. To this bold speech Idernus made no answer. Only his captains frowned, and many of the Egyptians murmured approval. After this the feast went on without further incident for a while, the Easterns always drinking more wine, till at length the tables were cleared and all the meaner sort departed from the hall, save the butlers and the personal servants such as Bez, who stood behind the seats of their masters. There came a silence, such as precedes the bursting of a storm, and in the midst of it Idernus spoke, somewhat thickly. I did not come here, O Perot, he said, from the seat of government at Says to eat your meats and to drink your wine. I came to speak of high matters with you. It is so, O Satrap, answered Perot, and now what may be your will? Would you retire to discuss them with me and my counsellors? Where is the need, Operoa, seeing that I have naught to say which may not be heard by all? As it pleases you. Speak on, O Satrap. I have been summoned here, Prince Baroa, by a writing under what seems to be the signet of signets, the ancient white seal that for generations unknown has been worn by the forefathers of the King of Kings. "'Where is this signet?' "'Here,' said the prince, opening his robe. "'Look on it, satrap, and let your lords look, "'but let none of you dare to touch it.' "'Idernus looked long and earnestly, "'and so did some of his people, "'especially the lord with the hawk eyes. "'Then they stared at each other, bewildered, "'and whispered together, "'It seems to be the very seal, the white seal itself!' "'exclaimed Idernus at length. "'Tell me now, Peroa.' How came this sacred thing that dwells in the east hither into Egypt? The Lord Shabaka brought it to me with certain letters from the great king, O satrap. Shabaka for the third time, by the holy fire, cried Idernus. He brought the cup, he brought the famous pearls, he brought the gold, and he brought the signet of signets. What is there then that he did not bring? Perchance he has the person of the king of kings himself in his keeping. Not that, O satrap, only commands of the king of kings which are prepared ready to deliver to you under the white seal that you acknowledge. And what may they be, Egyptian? This, O satrap, 
that you and all the army which you have brought with you retire to Sais and thence out of Egypt as quickly as you may, or pay for disobedience with your lives. Now Idoness and his captains gasped. Why, this is rebellion, he said. No, O oh satrap, only the command of the great king given under the white seal. And drawing a roll from his breast, Perrault laid it on his brow and cast it down before Idoness, adding, obey the writing and the signet or by virtue of my commission as soon as you are returned to your army and your safe conduct is expired i fall upon you and destroy you idoness looked about him like a wolf in a trap then asked do you mean to murder me here not so answered perroa for you have our safe conduct and egyptians are honourable men but you are dismissed your office and ordered to leave egypt Idoness thought a little while, then said, "'If I leave Egypt, there is at least one whom I am commanded to take with me under orders and writings that you will not dispute, a maiden named Amada, whom the great king would number among his women. I am told that it is she who sits yonder, a jewel indeed, fair as the pearls upon her breast, which thus will return into the king's keeping. Let her be handed over, for she rides with me at once.' Now in the midst of an intense silence, Peroa answered, Amada, the royal lady of Egypt, cannot be sent to dwell in the house of women of the great king without consent of the lord Shabaka, whose she is. Shabaka, for the fourth time, said Idoness, glaring at me. Then let Shabaka come too, or his head in a basket will suffice, since that will save trouble afterwards, also some pain to Shabaka. Why, now i remember it was this very shabaka whom the great king condemned to death by the boat for a crime against his majesty and who bought his life by promising to deliver to him the fairest and most learned woman in the world the lady amara of egypt and thus does the knave keep his oath now i leapt to my feet as did most of those present only amara kept her seat and looked at me you lie i cried and were it not for your safe conduct i would kill you for the lie i lie do i sneered idoness speak then you who were present and tell this noble company whether i lie and he pointed to the hawk-eyed lord he does not lie said the captain i was in the court of the great king and heard yonder shabaka purchase pardon by promising to hand over his cousin the lady amada to the king the pearls were entrusted to him as a gift to her and i see she wears them the gold also of which mention has been made was to provide for her journey in state to the east or so i heard the cup was his guerdon also a sum for his own purse it is false i shouted the name of amada slipped my lips by chance no more so it slipped your lips by chance did it sneered idoness now if you are wise you will suffer the lady amada to slip your hand and not by chance but let us have done with this cunning knave prince will you hand over yonder fair woman or will you not satrap i will not answered Baroa. the demand is an insult put forward to force us to rebellion since there is no man in egypt who will not be ready to die in defence of the royal lady of egypt the statement was received with a shout of applause by every egyptian in the hall idoness waited until it died away then said prince peroa 
and Egyptians. You have conveyed to me certain commands sealed with a signet of signets which I think was stolen by yonder Shabaka. Now hearken until this matter is made clear. I will obey those commands thus far. I will return with my army to Sais and there wait until I have received the orders of a great king after report made to him. If so much as an arrow is shot at us on our march, it will be open rebellion as the prince of which Egypt shall be crushed as she was never crushed before, and every one of you here present shall lose his head, save only the lady Amada, who is the property of the great king. Now I thank you for your hospitality and demand that you escort me and those with me back to my camp, since it seems that we are here in the midst of enemies. Before you go, Idernus, I shouted, know that you and your lying captain shall pay with your lives for your slander on me. Many will pay with their lives for this night's work, O thief of pearls and seals, answered the satrap, and turning, left the hall with his company. Now I searched for Amada, but she also had gone with the ladies of Peroa's household, who feared lest the feast should end in blows and bloodshed, also lest she should be snatched away. Indeed, of all the women in the hall, only my mother remained. Search out the Lady Amada, I said to her, and tell her the truth. Yes, my son, she answered thoughtfully, but what is the truth? I understood it was Bez who first gave the name of the Lady Amada to the great king. Now we learn from your own lips that it was you. Wise would you have been, my son, if you had bitten out your tongue before you said it, since this is a matter that any woman may well misunderstand. Her name was surprised out of me, mother. It was Bez who spoke to the king of the beauty of a certain lady of Egypt. And I think, my son, it was Bez who told Peroa and his guests that he and not you had given the king her name, which you do not seem to have denied. Well, doubtless both of you are to blame for foolishness no more, since well I know that you would have died ten times over rather than buy your life at the price of the honor of the Lady of Egypt. This I will say to her as soon as I may, praying that it may not be too late, and afterwards you shall tell me everything, which you would have done well to do at first, if Bez, as I think, had not been over-cunning after the fashion of black people, and counseled you otherwise. See, Baroa calls you, and I must go, for there are greater matters afoot than that of who let slip the name of the Lady Amada to the King of Kings. So she went, and there followed a swift council of war the question being whether we were to strike at the satrap's army or to allow it to retreat to Sais. In my turn I was asked for my judgment of the issue and answered, Strike at once, since we cannot hope to storm Sais, which is far away. Moreover, such strength as we have is now gathered, and if it is idle and perhaps unpaid, will disperse again. But if we can destroy Arderness and his army, it will be long before the king of kings, who is sending all his multitudes against the Greeks, can gather another, and during this time Egypt may again become a nation, and able to protect herself under Peroa, her own pharaoh. In the end I, and those who thought like me, prevailed, and so that before the dawn I was sailing down the Nile with the fleet, having two thousand men under my command. Also I took with me the six hunters whom I had won from the great king, since I knew them to be faithful, 
and thought that their knowledge of the Easterns and their ways might be of service. Our orders were to hold a certain neck of land between the river and the hills where the army of Idernus must pass, until Paroa and all his strength could attack him from behind. Four hours later, the wind being very favorable to us, we reached that place and there took up our station, and having made all as ready as we could, rested. In the early afternoon, Bez awakened me from the heavy sleep into which I had fallen and pointed to the south. I looked, and through the desert haze saw the chariots of Idernus advancing in ordered ranks, and after them the masses of his footmen. Now we had no chariots, only archers, and two regiments armed with long spears and swords. Also the sailors on the boats had their slings and throwing javelins. Lastly the ground was in our favor, since it sloped upwards, and the space between the river and the hills was narrow. Somewhat boggy, too, after the inundation of the Nile, which meant that the chariots must advance in a column and could not gather sufficient speed to sweep over us. Idernus and his captains noted all this also and halted. Then they sent a herald forward to ask who we were and to command us in the name of the great king to make way for the army of the great king. I answered that we were Egyptians, ordered by Peroa to hold the road against the satrap who had done affront to Egypt by demanding that its royal lady should be given over to him to be sent to the east as a woman's slave, and if the satrap wished to clear the road he would come and do so for if it pleased him he could go back towards memphis or stay where he was since he did not wish to strike the first blow i added this i who speak on behalf of the prince peroa am the lord shabaka that same man whom but last night the satrap and a certain captain of his named a liar now the easterns are brave men and we of egypt have always heard that among them none is braver than idernus who gained his advancement through courage and skill in war let him therefore come out together with the lord who named me a liar armed with swords only and i who being a liar must also be a coward together with my servant a black dwarf and will meet them man to man in the sight of both the armies and fight them to the death or, if it pleases Idernus better, let him not come, and I will seek him and kill him in the battle, or by him be killed. The herald, having taken stock of me and of Bez, at whom he laughed, returned with the message. Will he come, think you, master? asked Bez. Mayhap, I answered, since it is a shame for an Eastern to refuse a challenge from any man whom he calls barbarian and if he did so it might cost him his life afterwards at the hands of the great king. Also, if he should fall, there are others to take his command, but none who can wipe away the stain upon his honor. Yes, said Bez. Also they think me a dwarf of no account, which makes the task of killing you easy. Well, they shall see. Now when I sent this challenge I had more in my mind than a desire to avenge myself upon Idernus and his captain for the public shame they had put upon me. I wished to delay the attack of their host upon our little band and give time for the army of Peroa to come up behind. Moreover, if I fell, it did not greatly matter except as an omen, seeing that I had good officers under me who knew all my plans." We saw the herald reach the satrap's army, and after a while returned towards us again, which made us think my challenge had been refused, especially as with him was an officer who, I took it, was sent to spy out our strength, 
But this was not so, for the man said, The satrap Idanus has sworn by the great king to kill the thief of the signet and send his head to the great king, and fears that if he waits to meet him in battle he may slip away. Therefore he is minded to accept your challenge, O Shabaka, and put an end to you. And indeed under the laws of the east he may not refuse. But a noble of the great king may not fight against a black slave save with a whip. So how can that noble accept the challenge of the dwarf Bez? Quite well, answered Bez, seeing that I am no slave but a free citizen of Egypt. Moreover, in my own country of Ethiopia, I am of royal blood. Lastly, tell the man this, that if he does not come and afterwards falls into my hands or into those of the Lord Shabaka, he who talks of whips shall be scourged with them till his life creeps out from between his bare bones. Thus spoke Bez, rolling his great eyes and looking so terrible that the herald and the officer fell back a step or two. Then I told them that if my offer did not please them, I myself would fight, first Idernes, then the noble. So they returned. The end of it was that we saw Idernes and his captain advancing, followed by a guard of ten men. And after I had explained all things to my officers, I also advanced with Bez, followed by a guard of ten picked men. We met between the armies on a little sandy plain at the foot of the rise, and there followed talk between the captains of our guards as to arms and so forth, but we four said nothing to each other, since the time for words was past. Only Bez and I sat down upon the sand and spoke a little together of Amada and Karima, and of how they would receive the news of our victory or deaths. "'It does not much matter, master,' said Bez at last. "'Seeing that if we die, we shall never know, and if we live, we shall learn for ourselves.' At length all was arranged, and we stood up to face each other, the four of us being armed in the same way. For as did Idernus and the hawk-eyed lord, Bez and I wore shirts of mail and helms, those that we had brought with us from the east. For weapons we had short and heavy swords, small shields and knives at our girdles. "'Look your last upon the sun, thieves,' mocked Idernus. "'For when you see it again it shall be with blind eyes from the points of spears fastened to the gateway pillars of the great king's palace.' "'Liars you have lived, and liars you shall die,' shouted Bez, but I said nothing. Now the agreement was that when the word had been given, Idernus and I and the noble and Bez should fight together. But if they killed one of us, or we killed one of them, the two who survived might fall together on the remaining man. Remembering this, as he told me afterwards, at the signal Bez leapt forward like a flash, with working face and foam upon his lips.' and before ever I could come to Idernus, how I know not, he received the blow of the eastern lord upon his shield without striking back, had gripped him in his long arms and wrapped him round with his bowed legs. In an instant they were on the ground, Bez uppermost, and I heard the sound of blow upon blow struck with knife or sword, I knew not which, upon the eastern's mail, followed by a shout of victory from the Egyptians which told me that Bez had slain him. Now Idernus and I were smiting at each other. He was a taller and a bigger man than myself, but older and one who had lived too well. Therefore I thought it wise to keep him at a distance and tire him, which I did by retreating and catching his sword cuts on my shield, only smiting back now and again. 
He runs, he runs, shouted the Easterns. Oh, Idunez, beware the dwarf. Stand away, Bez, I called. This is my game. And he obeyed as often as he had done when we were hunting together. Now a shrewd blow from Idunez cut through my helm and staggered me, and another, before I could recover myself, shore the shield from my hand, whereat the Easterns shouted more loudly than before. Then fear of defeat entered into me and made me mad for this satrap was a great fighter. With a shout of Egypt, I went at him like a wounded lion, and soon it was his turn to stagger back. But alas, I struck too hard, for my sword snapped upon his mail. The knife! screamed Bez. The knife! I hurled the sword hilt at the satrap's face and drew the dagger from my belt. Then I ran in beneath his guard and stabbed and stabbed and stabbed. He gripped at me, and we went down side by side, rolling over each other. The gods know how it ended, for things were growing dim to me, when some thrust of mine found a rent in his mail made when the sword had broke and he became weak. His spirit weakened also, for he gasped. Spare my life, Egyptian, and my treasure is yours. I swear it by the fire. Not for all the treasure in the world, slanderer. I panted back and drove the dagger home to the hilt thrice, until he died. Then I staggered to my feet, and when the army saw that it was I who rose while Idunez lay still, a roar of triumph went up from the Egyptians, answered by a roar of rage from the Easterns. With a cry of, Well done, master, Bez leapt upon the dead man and hewed his head from him, as already he had served the hawk-eyed noble. Then, gripping one head in each hand, he held them up for the Easterns to see. "'Men of a great king,' I said, "'bear us witness that we have fought fairly, man to man, when we need not have done so.' The ten of the satrap's guards stood silent, but my own shouted, "'Back, Shabaka! The Easterns charge!' I looked and saw them coming like waves of steel, then supported by men and preceded by Bez, who danced in front, shaking the several heads. I ran back to my own ranks, where one gave me wine to drink and threw water over my hurts, which were but slight. Scarcely it was done when the battle closed in, and soon in it I forgot the deaths of Idunus and the Eastern Lyre. End of chapter 12